Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. And let's go to the 34th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. I've been wanting to read this portion of Scripture from this pulpit for a long time. So this is the night. Amen. Father, thank you that your word will produce life. I thank you for the anointing that's upon it. I thank you that it will be quickened in the hearts of those that are here to hear. And I thank you for receptive hearts and ears. And I thank you, Father, that the eyes of our understanding are, are enlightened to receive the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We were talking about and discussing God's order of priorities in our lives. And we prepared somewhat of a list by saying, number one, God's first priority for us in his list of priorities is our relationship with him. We must establish a relationship with the Father God. We made some remarks that are pretty blunt and pretty bold. We said if a man's not born again, he's not alive. If a man's not born again, he's not a man. It takes a man to stand and face the Almighty God. Amen? You must be born again to establish relationship with the Father. We said, second of all, our Father saw that it was not good that man should be alone, so He established relationship with woman who was taken from the side of man. We said, taken from the rib or the side to be equal with man, from under the arm to be protected by man, and from close to the heart to be loved by man. Amen? And we said that Man was not to dominate the woman. He was, the woman was not taken from under his foot, but from his side. And uh, it was in God's order that man would have the woman. And he brought the woman unto the man, and they too are one flesh. Bone of my bone, he said, flesh of my flesh. We came to number three. The next thing that happened with Eve is that the Lord gave her a son. She says, I got a, a man from the Lord. So number three in our list of priorities was our relationship with our children. Number one, your relationship with God. Number two, your relationship with your mate. Either way, being husband or wife. Number three, your relationship with your children. Number four, we said your relationship with your local body, with the body, the church, the pastor. This is important. Very important. It's so important that that's where we're going to pick it up. It's very important, before we even go to our job, it's very important that we establish relationship with the body of Christ. We are told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and much the more when we see the day approaching. And that day is approaching, beloved. Amen? It's time we start to bring out some of these important truths of God's Word. Amen? And let's be well balanced in the Word of faith and the Word of truth. And you're going to see how you won't give anybody any way that they could come against you and say, well, you're not living up to what God's Word says. 
Because when you walk by faith, you will be well balanced in the Word of God. In Ezekiel 34, let's begin reading with verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Shepherds. Pastors. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and you clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased... Have you not strengthened? When I read this, it spoke to my heart. I said, Lord, why do you always get me in that area of preaching on healing? (laughs) And I saw why. It's important that the shepherd, and in this situation, the under-shepherd, teach the flock how to be healed. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty you have ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered to all the mountains upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth. And none did search or seek after them. Remember he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's important, beloved. If you're called into the ministry of the pastor, you're called into one of the most important ministries given to man to be an under-shepherd. And we're going to see that. And if you're not called to that office and you don't have a pastor's heart, then I'll tell you what, don't get behind the pulpit. I mean that with all the love in my heart. Stay away from the pulpit. You have got to feed and love the sheep. And he said, here, you better make sure that you get them healed from their diseases, from being sick. Let's go to the next verse and see what the woes were to them that did not do it. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day, that he is, he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture. And upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. They, there shall they lie in a good fold and in a fat pastor, and shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. He got so disgusted with them, he says, I'm going to get my own sheep. 
I'm going to get my own flock and I'm going to feed them and I'm going to make them to lie down. And you know, if you'll read right on, well, I'm not going to, I want to get to what I have to get to. So I'm just going to quote to you. John 10:11 calls him, Jesus is our good shepherd. He is our good shepherd. He says, I'm going to come myself. I can't trust these people to feed my sheep. All they do is they feed themselves and they don't feed my sheep. They don't get them delivered. They don't get them set free. He says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life. I lay down my life. Beloved, if you're called into the ministry of the pastorate, you're called to lay down your life for the sheep. And you know, it's only in New Testament times that he put that office back into the, into the body. The pastor is the same word there for shepherd. Under-shepherd. What a privilege it is to be an under-shepherd to the Lord Jesus Christ. The great shepherd, he's called in Hebrews, the 13th chapter in verse 20. You could write that down if you want to. And in 1 Peter, the 5th chapter in verse 4, he is called the chief shepherd. The good shepherd. The great shepherd. And he's called the chief shepherd. Amen. And then, I like the 23rd Psalm. He is called by his covenant name, Jehovah Ruah, the Lord our shepherd. And he says, I'll make you to lie down in green pastures. He says, I'll lead you beside the still waters. I will, not somebody else. I will. And I want to say this to everybody here today. Your chief shepherd, your great shepherd, your good shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He is the shepherd of your soul. And thank God He's only put under shepherds here just to help Him. Can you see that? Just to help Him. And we're going to see the office of the shepherd in a minute. But He is our great shepherd. He is our covenant shepherd. He's the shepherd of the covenant. It means He is responsible for us, to feed us, to guide us, to lead us. He said, I'll lead you in the ways of righteousness for my name's sake. And if you came to the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil, for I am with you, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the bishop of our souls. He's with us. And then he said, you're going to eat in this full pasture. He says, I prepared a table before you in the presence of all your enemies. Sit down and eat. Get nice and fat on the word of God. See, this is the job of the chief shepherd. And by no means does the, the under-shepherd take the place of the great shepherd, of the chief shepherd of your souls. Only we have the responsibility as being called to the office of the shepherd is to help. Because it says in the Word of God, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 11, And he gave gifts unto men, he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. And the pastorate is the only office that could even begin to be compared to the office of the shepherd. The apostle is responsible to go and to establish. And sometimes we've tried to look at these other men of God's ministries and we tried to compare our own church, local body, with their ministries. But not everybody's called into the office of the apostle. It's the duty of the, for the apostle to go forth and to establish the, the churches. To go forth with signs and wonders and cause things to happen. And so the blind eyes can be opened so they can see. Jesus said, this is the reason why the great and the good and the chief shepherd came. Was to what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach this gospel to the poor. Amen. To preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's why He came. 
And the apostle goes forth to establish. And only he that is called to be an apostle, as Paul said in the, in the book of Galatians, I am an apostle called by God our Father and Jesus his Son to be in this office of the apostle. To go forth and to establish. But you see, your pastor is not called to go forth and to establish and to build churches here and there and everywhere. And then we have the ministry of the prophet who's there. To see between both worlds. He's there set in, the, in this office in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. To see between the spiritual and the natural. And to keep the relationship as one, close as possible. And not to give direction and guidance to the church. But just to show the Holy Spirit is to give direction and guidance. We that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But He's there to hold that place and hold that office. And to keep us in touch with the supernatural. To be the seer between the two worlds. And thank God we benefit from that ministry for the perfecting of the saints. Amen. For the maturing of the saints. And of the body of Christ. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. And then we have the evangelist that goes forth. And, and with signs and wonders does the same thing. So set forth miracles and healings. To open up the eyes. And sometimes to bring revival to churches that are already established. But then we come to the office of the pastor which is responsible for the greatest work on the earth. To feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The apostle goes, establishes, and leaves. The prophet has his office. He communicates very little to the body itself, but speaks of those things that he has heard and shares them with us. And then the evangelist comes and he goes, comes and he goes, and miracles happen. Signs and wonders follow the, the ministry. Praise God. But he goes and he goes and he goes and he goes. And then we come to the office of the pastor and the teacher. Notice in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter in verse 11, it does not separate the, the two offices. We separate them for teaching purposes. But it says the pastor and teacher. The pastor and teacher. It is a great responsibility to stand in the office of the pastor and be responsible to meet the people on an everyday basis and to feed them and to give them the good word of God, to teach them and instruct them in the ways of righteousness, to speak the mind of God, to be an example. Go to 1 Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. The fifth chapter. This is talking about that same office. Jesus came to give his life. To give his life. For what? To deliver us from this present evil age. He gave himself. Galatians 1, 4 says. We'll see that probably here in a minute. Let's look at this here scripture. 1 Peter 5, 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, whom am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed... Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over, the, over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Examples. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Yes, he's the chief shepherd. But we are to be an example. I said it the other night, I'll, I'll repeat it again. The Spirit of God said in my spirit, the, the greatest and the strongest message that you'll ever preach to this body here is the life that you live before them. 
No, no. Some people can't hear the words of their ministers because their lives are speaking so loud they cannot hear what they're saying. But when you purpose in your heart to be an example to the flock, when you purpose in your heart to give your life for the sheep, for the flock, as we're called to do in this office, you are called to be and meet every need of the body. You're called to be there at every waking moment. You're called to be... There when there's a need in the body. You're called to be there any time. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're sitting down to eat. It doesn't matter if you're laying down to sleep. It doesn't matter what's going on. You're on call 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And when they call, you better go. And you should be there. And sometimes I know in this office, and some of you are going to have to understand it. In this office, you cannot be 300 places at one time. But blessed be God, when you can, you're called to be there. You're not called to leave your first calling. You're not called to walk away from your relationship with God. You're not called to leave your relationship with your wife. You're not called to leave your children and let the devil have them. You're not called to do that. But you're called to a place that you have got to watch every moment of your time. You're called to a place that you have to stand before the great shepherd as being an under-shepherd. And look him in the face and say, I gave the flock all that I had. I gave my life for them, just as you told me to give. Because you see, the evangelist and the prophet and the apostle, they're gone. They're gone. They don't see the everyday needs of the people. Only if they were in that office can they. Can they understand. But listen to me. He says, I woe unto you shepherds. He said, woe unto you shepherds, you've not set them free. You've not got them delivered. You've not set them free from their diseases. You've not healed them. You've not fed them. You've not given them the word of truth. And because of it, they're scattered. As sheep with no shepherd. And dearly beloved, it's seeing the body of Christ today. Marriages are falling apart. Children and, and, and parent relationships are being destroyed. Satan is having his way in the body of Christ in some cases because they have not taught of the faithfulness of the shepherd ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true chief shepherd and bishop of your souls. He says, I've come to deliver my people and to set them free. Look at Galatians, the first chapter in verse 4. We saw there in John, John's gospel, the 10th chapter, verse 11, he said, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd, and, and the good shepherd lays down his life, gives himself for a sheep. In the book of Galatians, the first chapter, and verse 4, notice he says he gives himself, or he gave himself. He gave himself for the sheep. Why did he give himself for the sheep? May I ask you, why did he give himself? Galatians, the first chapter, and verse 4 gives us the answer. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. It was the will of the Father God. I could just see him back there. Oh, back there in Ezekiel's time when he was prophesying and saying, Thus saith the Lord God, I sent these men forward to be shepherds. I sent them, sent them forward to get the captives set free, to get those that are afflicted to be healed, those that are bound by the devil and all the things that the devil would come against them with, to get them delivered. And so now he says, I'm sending my, my begotten son, my only begotten son to be the chief and the good shepherd. To give himself 
for this purpose right here. To deliver you from this present evil world. That is the reason he has sent the good shepherd. That's the purpose. And if you'll read Galatians 2 and 20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now catch this. Who gave himself his life for me? He gave himself for who? Who gave himself for me? Who gave himself for me, Paul said. Paul had a revelation of this. The good shepherd has come. He's come in by the right gate. He's come in to deliver us from this present evil age. And Paul said he came and gave himself for me. Galatians 1, 4 says he gave himself to deliver. To deliver. But Paul had a revelation of it. He gave himself for me. He gave himself for me. Can you say that with me? He gave himself for me to deliver me from this present age or this present world. Now, you ready for the last part? Anybody out there that ever said, is it God's will? According to the will of God and our Father. It is the will of God and your Father that you be delivered from this present evil world and all that's in it. And he said, since they didn't do it, I'm going to send the true shepherd and he's going to go down there and do it. And thank God he did. He did. He delivered us. Amen. And I'll give you some scriptures. You can write them down. Ephesians 5, 2. Says he gave himself for us. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says he gave himself for the church. You are the church. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 8 says he gave himself for all of us. And over there in Titus, the second chapter, which we're going to see here in a minute. Second chapter of Titus, verse 14, he gave himself. He gave himself for us, every one of us. So if you just look up them scriptures, put down your name in, in, in them scriptures and say, He gave himself for me. He gave himself for me to deliver me, to deliver me from cancer, to deliver me from tuberculosis, to deliver me from pneumonia, to deliver me from all the sicknesses and the diseases of this world according to the will of God, our Heavenly Father. It is the will of God that we be delivered. Unless you establish that in your life, beloved, you've never seen the true shepherd ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never seen it. Now, go with me to the book of Titus. In the book of Titus, you say, well, then why are not God's people being delivered? Well, beloved, you're going to see it right here. I said in the beginning of these teachings that our Heavenly Father has laid in His Word, laid down principles and priorities that we are to follow if we are going to be under the blessings, and I'm going to tell you what, under the blessings of Abraham. He says, I know Abraham. He is going to teach his family and his family after him. And because he will, I'll be able to bring on him all those things I have spoken of. Yeah, Abraham's blessings are yours. Abraham's blessings are mine. And the reason why Abraham got those blessings because he taught his family. He followed the principles of God's Word. He gave himself wholeheartedly to them. He looked to God 
It was accounted to him for righteousness. He obeyed God. He taught his family after him. And the Lord says, now I can bring upon Abraham all the blessings that I promised. What are you looking for in your local fellowship? What are you looking for in your local body? Titus, the second chapter, tells us what we should be looking for. I'm not looking to go hear a flowery sermon. I'm not going to find some very nice poetry. I'm not going to find some nice sermonettes on the Old Testament and things that happen. I'm not interested in going to find out uh, like some people preach about the weather. and I can put on the TV if I want to hear that. I'm not going to hear how Satan's getting everybody and attacking them. I don't want to hear that stuff. This is what you're to be looking for. Paul laid down the principles of God's word here in the book of Titus when he wrote to him. Titus, I'll tell you, mark it down right now, was a tough cookie. I mean, he was a rugged character. Timothy was a little bit backward and shy, but this Titus, look out, look out. Boy, he just laid it out. Look at what he said over here to Titus. He said in verse 1, let's start with verse 1. Put them, I'm sorry, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Well, that leaves us a little bit shallow about what he's saying. Back up a little bit. In the chapter, he's talking about the office of the pastor. He's talking about how he's supposed to be doing it blamelessly. Verse 7, he's steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Verse 8, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. He goes on, verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Under the pure, all things are pure. But under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But every, even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. But you, he says, Titus, you speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Look at sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober. That word sober there is the same word. Well, it has the same meaning of the word found there in James 1.21. The aged men are to be sober. It's, it comes from the word save or sozo in the Greek. It means to save, to deliver. Be sober. They're to be sober. And the word here that's used here talks about being sober-minded. Or having your mind renewed. These aged men are to be sober-minded or they are to have their mind saved or delivered from carnality by renewing it by the engrafted Word of God. Receiving with meekness the engrafted Word of God and saving their or having a sober mind. Saving their souls. Renewing their mind to the Word of God. Now notice, because he's talking about sound doctrine right now. They are to be sober-minded. The men that have been in the faith and have walked the faith and have lived the faith, they should have been taught how to have a sober mind, a mind that is renewed by the living Word of God. They're no longer walking by the carnality or the carnal mind, but they're walking by a mind that has been renewed by the Word of God. And you find that in Romans the 12th chapter, verse 1 and verse 2. 
Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you, aged men, may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God and be an example to the younger men. You're going to see this as we go along. He's laying down principles. He says, be sound or sober-minded. Now, the next word we find is grave. It means to be serious. It means to be honest. It's a combination of gravity, gravity and dignity. It talks about being in awe of God. This person is a very serious person. He's a very honest man. Serious in all that he does for God. His life is one that's lived according to the principles and the precepts of God as he is laid out in the Word of God. This aged man is to be an example to the body. He is to, to, to have grown to a degree of spirituality and the spiritual truth that his relationship with God the Father is equal to that of the man of God or beyond. Because he is the head of the household. Then he goes on to say that he is to be temperate. It means the same thing, sober-minded. But then he goes on, he said, he is to be sound in faith. The word sound means healthy. Did you ever hear of weak faith? Sound in faith. Look at the, four, look at the front of this list. Sober-minded. The mind renewal. The mind must be renewed. Even though you are born again, you are to present your body a living sacrifice. It is your reasonable service. And you are to renew your mind. It is your reasonable service. It is not the pastor's reasonable service. It's my reasonable service or spiritual service to renew my mind. It is your responsibility to renew your mind. Can you see that? He is the chief shepherd. We are the under-shepherds. We are to give you the truth. We cannot make you receive the truth. I can't renew your mind for you. Oh, I'd love to. But I can't renew your mind for you. It is our responsibility. He said you are to be sound in faith. The word sound means healthy faith. I like that. Healthy faith is not weak faith. Healthy faith is strong faith. Look what he says, sound in faith, sound in charity, sound in patience. Boy, you put them three, you get a fellow that's healthy in faith, love, and patience, you got a character on your hands. You have got somebody that is unmovable and unshakable. You hear that, aged men? Unmovable. And unshakable in your relationship with the Father God. That's how it's supposed to be, first of all. If you're a father, if you're a husband out there, if you're a man out there, you are to grow into a place that you become sound, sober-minded, temperate. You come to a place that you are so serious with God, you get more serious as every day goes by. Honest and sincere in your heart. You are sound in faith. Sound in the divine agape. That's why the, the word charity is used. You are sound in the divine agape love of God. Healthy in it. You walk it. You live it. And you are sound in patience. He's saying, you teach these people that this is the truth. You teach these people that this is the way that I have given in my word. That's what he's saying here. By revelation. Look at the next verse. You ready? Aged women. The aged women likewise, likewise are in the same manner, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, 
to love their children. Keep in mind that he's given you sound doctrine. Keep in mind that Paul is establishing sound doctrine in the ministry of Titus. He says, this is, these are the things that you're going to have to get across first. Okay, aged women. You want to know why there's a lot of marriages today that are, that's fallen by the wayside? Because the women have not taught their daughters how to love their husbands. How do you teach your daughter? By the way, you love your husband. By the example you set forth of loving your husband. Now notice he said, you aged women likewise. In other words, you're sober-minded. You're serious with God. Likewise, he's saying, you're the same way as the aged man. You're sound in faith. You're sound in love. You are sound in patience. And you are now living a life of holiness before your children and teaching them how to love and respect and honor their husbands. Sound doctrine. Now listen to me. Because the Spirit of God has just implanted it in my spirit so much. There shouldn't be divorces in the body of Christ. There should not be contention and strife in the household. It shouldn't be there. We can go back all the way to the beginning. If you're in a position that you were not taught, then you're in a position to learn. Listen. And I mean this. If your children are small right now, or if they're about to get married, or if they've just gotten married, if you're a parent... You've got a responsibility. That responsibility started when they were young. If they're about to get married, realize what your responsibility is. I see and hear marriages going down by the wayside. Do you know why? Because the parents teach their daughters not to love their husbands. But they point out all the faults of the man she's going to marry. And if you're in that category, you listen carefully. You're not to do that. You are to teach your children, by example, what it means to love that husband or that man that she's going to marry. It's too late, friends, if you're going to start when they got married. It's, I mean, it's too late to start that example in the household. That has got to come first. That's got to come right now where you're at, wherever you're at in your married life. That's got to be now to teach them. And when they grow up, they'll know exactly what to look for. They'll exact, know exactly how to act. They'll know their proper place. Let's read a little bit more here. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word, here it is, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Oh, it's something when you, when you go to witness to somebody and they find out that your marriage is on the rocks. You ever try to be a witness to somebody and they find out you're going through a divorce? Look, and I'm not saying this for, against anybody. Take it as from the Spirit of God. We're not talking about anybody's faults and failures in their lives. I'm laying down to you according to what God's Word says about we're not to blaspheme the Word of God. And we're not to have the Word of God blaspheme in our lives. We are to follow the principles of godly living first in our lives. He has laid this down and established this as principles and priorities in the life of every individual. I don't care what you got healed from. How's your household holding up? Let's start from the beginning. Let's get it in this proper perspective. Once you got healed, that's it. You're healed. Now what are you going to do? Think about it. 
Look at what it says here. Verse 5 again. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. He didn't talk about the body yet, is he? Talking about this relationship. Aged men, aged women, teach your young women. Teach them this diligently. Be an example. He goes on to say in uh, the sixth verse, Young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Now he's talking to, t- to Titus. Young men, he could be talking to me. You've got to be sober-minded. Young men, you've got to have your mind renewed by the Word of God. You're not going to make it in this life. You're not going to be delivered from the forces of evil. You're not going to get away by not without having you're not going to get away from evil if you don't have your mind renewed by the living word of God. You're not going to be able to live up to the pressures of this life. You're not going to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The battleground is in the mind. This whole chapter talks about the mind, the right attitude of mind. He's saying here, teach them to have the right kind of attitude in their mind, that they know what's theirs from God and they know what comes from the devil. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Have your mind renewed. Have your mind developed. Have your mind saved. These are principles and priorities in life. And you're going to see it involves our everyday living. It gets right into the nitty gritty of your everyday living. It hits home, so to speak. And I said, now, Lord, why, is, why are you establishing these principles like this? Why do you want to be so explicit in showing us that we have got to live the natural life good? And he said to me, the principles of the supernatural life, you think they're different? You'll find a man that cannot carry his load in the natural. You'll find a man that cannot carry his load in the supernatural. I mean that. I mean that. Because the supernatural is what has ordered the natural. And as you live in obedience to this life, that's exactly how you're going to live to that life. If you're slothful in this life, you will be slothful in that life. He says, if you are slothful and lazy in the little that I gave you to do on this earth, you'll be slothful and lazy up there. I can't expect you to do much. Isn't that right? But we're to be found faithful. Let's go on to verse 7. I want to show you that these are truths of God's Word. We cannot take for granted that people are living by it, but they've got to be preached. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Now he's talking to Titus. Show yourself, in yourself, a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, Sincerity, look at verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. I'll read that from the Phillips translation. That your speech should be unaffected and, uh, and above criticism, so that your opponent may feel ashamed and find nothing, no place in you, which will discredit you. He's saying, you live a life that is so godly before the people. You let your speech before the people that is so, it cannot be corrupt. It ministers the grace of God. You have to live a life before them. And and beloved, I say this with all the love of my heart. I have got to live a life before you that is above reproach. 
I cannot live a life before you that, I, that does not show forth godliness, love, faith, sound doctrine. I cannot live a life before you of sin and expect you to follow the example that I lay down. Some say, do as I say, not as I do. If you cannot say, do as I do, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me and be ye followers of me as I follow Christ. And every man that's called to the ministry, if you cannot say that to the body that you've been called to be the under-shepherd over, then you have no right to be there. You have no place. If you are not sincere in giving your life for Him, if you're not sincere in taking up your cross and follow Him, He says, then you have no place in me. Can you see that? No, we're called to an office. And everybody that's in this place today is a child of God. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. You're to show forth the excellencies of His glory. You are to be the example to the world of the love of God through Jesus Christ. Not just me. But that's your responsibility in your everyday life. We have got to live that way. We've got to live godly lives. People are not looking at what you get. People are looking about the life that you live before them. You say you got something from God. They get they had a thousand thousand and one excuses why it didn't come from God. It came from the world. But something that you have that they cannot deny, and that's His love. And when you live that godly life before them, beloved, you live a life of holiness. They come to your household and see the love of God. They see how your children are reared up in the admonition of the Lord. Walking in the light of God's Word. Walking in the love of God. Walking free from sickness and disease. They're going to want what you have. They're going to want the life that you have. And you're going to see how profitable this life is. You're going to see how it's going to open up a window, uh, the, bless, the blessings of God. The window gates of heaven. Exhort. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 9. Exhort servants. Now he gets into the life, your life between your employee or employer. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. That word answering means not speaking against them or not contradicting them. And I want to say this. If you are working for, if you are the boss or if you are the employee, it does not matter. You are responsible to God, your Heavenly Father, to work for that man. Look at verse 9, I'll give, and then we'll go on right there. Look at verse nine, or 10. Not purloining. The word purloining means to keep back. I think you can understand it a little bit better if I give you another scripture reference. Remember in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts? When Ananias and Sapphira came to Peter and said, This is what we sold our land for and we come to give it. Well, Peter said that they kept back part of it. Well, that's the same word that's translated here, purloining. If you are working for somebody, you are not to keep back your ability. You're not to keep back giving all you have, all you... Ananias and Sapphira should have given all if they were sincere. You are not to keep back your ability. You are not to keep back anything that you have. You are to give all to your employer. 
I get paid. When I worked down the mill, I heard people, oh, they griped and they complained and they murmured. They're there to work eight hours. If they work six, they rarely complain. I mean, normally they only have to work two. But if an emergency came up and they had to work six, well, God forbid. Look out. They begin to complain. They get upset. Oh, dear Lord, look, he told me to do this. He told me to do that. I'm going to tell you something right now. You're murmuring against God. You're murmuring against your Father God. Look at the rest of the scripture. We'll expound on that. Exhort servants to be obedient, from verse 9, unto their own masters and to please them in well in all things, not answering. Again, exhort, uh, not prolonging, but showing all good fidelity means faithfulness or the faithfulness of God. One of the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, of the recreated human spirit is faithfulness. Not faith. It was mistranslated. Faithfulness. You are to live that life. You are to work for Him with all fidelity or with all faithfulness or the faithfulness of God. You are to give all you have for that employer or employee, whatever it is, whatever the case might be, if you're the boss and he, he gives you instruction here. Why? That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The word adorn is the key word. Not only does the word mean to beautify the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, but I listen, but it means to set it in order. See, if you are decorating something, now my wife's good at this. If she, if she were to come to your house and, and you have all the things that you want in your house and they're all there, well, she'll come in and she'll begin to put them in order. And I have seen her taking an old place that's looked like it's beaten up and etc. and etc. And when she got done putting things in order, I said, Boy, honey, that's beautiful. I mean, you've made this place look beautiful. But how did she do it? She adorned it. How did she adorn it? By putting things in its proper place. Putting everything in order. Priorities of life. Putting them in order. He says, when you live your life this way, and when you live that life, can you imagine your Everybody else that comes to your boss comes like, like this. Well, now listen, I work two hours already. I mean, this guy over here, you know, he's just sitting over there on the bench. He's slept for half the night. He's not doing anything. Why don't you make him do it? Boss says, because I told you. And he walks away and says, well, now, dear God, dear God, dear God. He goes, he says, this guy hadn't done it all night. I, haven't, I worked six hours. You get paid for eight? You're supposed to work eight. You're basing your work on what he didn't do. Who do you think the boss turns to, friends? Ask me, I'll tell you. I used to work, and I did my work, and I did everybody else's work. And you know who the boss came to when he wanted something done? Me. Why? He has to have somebody he can trust. That word goes, that fidelity, that word goes a little bit further. Trustworthiness. Oh, he could trust me. He knew that if he said, oh, I need, I need 800 of these here things done. He just came right to me and said, I need him done in a hurry. He could trust me. I was faithful. I'd get the job done. Now listen to me. There's a great reward for faithfulness. Hold your place there. Look at Luke's Gospel. The 12th chapter. Trustworthiness. Luke 12. In verse, let's look at verse 30, 
7. People want to know why their, their blessings are being held back. Blessed are those servants. He's talking about faithfulness here. Whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. For verily I say unto you, that He shall gird Himself, and make them to come to sit down, make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. He'll serve you. Faithfulness. Trustworthiness. He goes on to talk about it, about the faithful servant. He's the one that went forth and did what the Lord told him to do, and then he does even more. In your relationship with your employee, you are setting in order God's list of priorities of life. You are establishing the fact that you can be trusted by God. Because if you can be trusted by your employer, you can best believe God can trust you. I mean, we, like I said, and I, I use only my personal life because I believe I can use my personal life. And say that from the very beginning, from the very beginning, we lived our life this way. I did not have chapter and verse for it. I could not tell, tell you it. But I knew that I was to do my job. If you're one that's on your job and you go and say, well, they told me that I'm not supposed to read my Bible right here. I heard people when I, where I worked. If you're in a place that it interferes, if you're in a place that you are supposed to be doing your work, and if you're in a place that at that time you're supposed to be busy, you better just put your Bible away and listen to your boss. And you better do the work that he's called you to do. People think, well, you're just persecuting me. No, he's not persecuting you. No, you're just not adorning the gospel. You're not showing forth what God has laid in His Word to that non-believer. You're not showing that man that you are a godly man. If, if you've done your job and you say it's all done, you're going to do a little bit more. And then some. That's what the Word of God teaches us. We're not to be men-pleasers. We're not to just, just when He comes over and looks over and sees what you're doing. Oh, you're working real hard. And He turns His back and walks away. We don't do anything. God sees everything is open before His eyes. Everything is naked before His eyes. He sees what you do and don't do. See, the church is one big body. But your household, uh, this church is made up of individual households, isn't it? You have your house in order. The man of God is... Now, you're supposed to pick out somebody to be your shepherd. A man who has his house in order. A man, is, as you look over there in Timothy, he gives you a description of the man of God that you're supposed to place before you. Now, that man is supposed to have his house in order. He, and the Scripture says that if he cannot take care of his own individual house, how can he take care of the house of God? For it is a one, it's one big house, is it not? Made up of individual houses. Now, if I don't live a life as an example to you what, it, what godly living is like, and if my wife does not show forth the same lifestyle, and if we don't live that life before you, then we're not doing what God said to do. And I'll tell you what, I'd be the first one to just say, well, look, I'm not an example. I just want to get out of here. Because I'll tell you what, it's a dangerous thing to be in a position of authority, to be in a position to where you've been called by God and you do not live up to what He says to live up to. It's time that you just go and pack your bags and you get alone like Moses did. Moses was called of God. The first thing he did was acted in the flesh, killed one Egyptian, he couldn't hide it. 
It took 40 years for the Lord to get him back in, in, into, right, into a position where he could use him. 40 years! But blessed be God, after those 40 years he came, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he destroyed not only one Egyptian, but the entire Egyptian army. Amen. Can you see that? Can you see that? Now let's go back to this book of Titus. And let's see what... Beloved, I'm going to say something right now. This is establishing in your life, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If you're not doing these things in your life right now, you are not living up to God's priorities and you are not seeking the kingdom of God. People say, well, I want to do something that's in the will of God. That's in the will of God. I hear people time and time again say, my kids, boy, they just interfere with my relationship with the Father. You better stop for a minute. You better stop and think about what you're saying. I hear people say, well, my husband, one for my husband, well, blessed be God, I have a better spiritual life. You better stop right there. Number one, gone. Number two, your husband. Number three, kids. Number four, your relationship to your body of Christ and your relationship with your employee, employer. These things have got to be set in your life. You've got to establish these things in your lives. You've got to realize. I'll give you a good example. Once one, one sister, I believe it was, if I'm mistaken, it's, I won't be far off. But they had a need of healing. And they came and, and, and the evangelist said, the Spirit of God, they were just going to pray, but the Spirit of God spoke and said, Ask them if they paid their tithes. And the person said, I paid my tithes all through the years. And the Lord says, that's enough. Listen to me. She said, that's enough. You got your victory. Laid hands. Instant healing. Because of His faithfulness. Because of faithfulness. Yeah. God rewards faithfulness. I mean to tell you, someone say, well, that sounds like works to me. Well, just, we'll get ahead of ourselves for a minute. Hold your face. Just go over to the third chapter of this book of Titus. We'll cover it back up again. Verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. They're good and they're profitable unto men. You hear? Good and profitable. Good and profitable unto men. And as I look back upon our lifestyle, I go back to see what, where the Lord has called us. I go back and see every step that we took as being led by the Spirit of God. We were obedient to do everything that the Spirit of God has called us to do. We were obedient to give up all. Listen, I mean this with all sincerity in my heart. We were obedient to start a brand new life over again. I don't know if you've ever been called to do that, friends, but I'll tell you what. Don't go by somebody else's calling. If you have not been called to do it, don't you dare step out to do it. We were called to go back to step one. Only this time we've already married and have kids. And he says, go sell your house, leave your family, forget your job, 
That means everything we live and worked and established in this present life, we had to turn from and give up. We had to do it. But we were obedient to that call. We were obedient to do it. We had to keep our house in order. We have to teach our children God's Word to the best of our ability. We've got to be examples to the flock. There's a great responsibility. And I'll tell you something right now. That responsibility does not stop at this pulpit. That responsibility goes to everybody that's here. And I say this with all the love in my heart. There are those that had thought at one time, well, we, we, and I'm not saying in this body, I'm saying in, I, I could see the overall picture. And I thank God He's called us in. And, and, and I thank God that I had a teach, have a teachable spirit so that I could, I, I could see the fullness of, of, of what the body of Christ is really going through. I could see the difference between what we call faith and revelation knowledge and what the other people had called this is our faith. I could see the difference between the two. I can see a faithfulness in one and I can see a learning of God's knowledge of faith in the other and I can see that God wanted to combine them together and bring them forth together so that we could learn one from another, learn how to be faithful and learn how to walk in faith. And when you put the two together, glory be to God, you have got yourself a house on fire for God, unmovable and unshakable. And I see that in this body right here. Oh, do I see that right here in this body. I see a steadfastness. I see a, a growth of love and faith. But then again, I see on the other hand, faithfulness being established in the lives of the believer. We have a responsibility to our local body. We have a responsibility to be here. We have a responsibility. The Word of God declares it to be true. It's part and parcel of the gospel. We can't take away from it. Every time they had, they had to be at Jerusalem on a certain day, they had to be there. You better be there. And if they had to stay all day, they had to stay all day. If they had to stay all night, they had to stay all night. They had to be faithful. God is faithful. Let's go on in this scripture. Let's, let's read some more. Okay. This is a do- called adorning the doctrine of God in verse 10, the latter part. That they may adorn the doctrine of God and our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in the present world, this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself, there it is, gave Himself, gave Himself to deliver us from this present world. He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity, purify Himself, and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things, Titus, speak, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no man despise thee. Don't you dare let anybody despise you. You go forth and you speak it. This is the way it is in God's order of priorities, he said. And you teach it just the way it is. And you'll be sound in faith. You'll be sound in doctrine. You'll be sound in the love of God. You'll be sound in patience. And blessed be God, you'll, you'll not have, there'll not be a soul out there that can come up and say, well, brother, so-and-so is not living that kind of life. Or brother, so-and-so, I know him, I work with him, I, I'm by him every day. Beloved, hear me out right now. If you're working in this world You should hear this report. That man that I work with never says a word about his employer. That man that I work with does not only his work, but he does other people's work too. 
That man that I... And I'll tell you what, you want to get that guy saved? You don't have to preach a word of this gospel. The words that you be speaking will be the life that you're living before them and you'll have them coming to you to get saved. Oh, I mean it. And they'll say, what makes you be that way? What causes you to talk like that? Everybody else is saying that this guy's no good that we work for. Everybody else is saying that he's unfair and unjust, but you say only good things about him. Blessed be God forevermore. You, you tell him right then, it's the love of Jesus Christ that's in my heart. It's the Word of God that says and teaches me to do it. Go to the third chapter. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to, and to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Now, he's talking about here rulers and delegated authority and local authority. No. You're to be, you are to be in subjection to the police force. You are to obey every ordinance of man. We talked about that in the book of Romans. We are to obey the authority. We're to obey the rule over us. We're to pray for the president. We're not to knock him. We're not to talk about him. We are to pray for these men. All the, the senators and the congressmen and the judges of our land and, and the school system and everything. We're to pray for them. Everybody else is pulling them down. We are to be in subjection. We are to pray. And then he goes on. Speak evil of no man. Be no brawler. Be gentle. Show meekness unto all men. We ourselves also are sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts. Go on down to verse 4. But after the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward, toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that you affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God... In, in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto all men. It's good to your profit. It is good to your profit. It is good to your advantage. It will be profitable for you in this life. You'll show forth a life of godliness, and I guarantee you by God's holy word when you pray, the Bible, Jesus said, I, Father, I thank you that you hear me always. But he also said this, he said, I do all those things that please my Father, and I know that you hear me. I came to do His will. And that's why Jesus could boldly stand there. He could boldly stand there. Why? Because He knows their life if they've come long enough. He knows if they've been faithful. And I'll tell you something right now. To get into school like Rama Bible Training Center, they want you to be faithful in these things. I mean that with all the love in my heart. If you're not faithful in this world system, friends, you cannot be faithful to God. It's just that simple. It's that simple. Why do you think he called the man that has his house in order? I mean, that should tell us something right there, shouldn't it? It should. Let's close with 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. I wish we had time to expound on some of these other things. If someone out there thinks you're not supposed to act that way towards your employer, get ready. Sixth chapter, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Why? That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. 
1 Timothy 6.1 Your employer is worthy of honor. He is worthy to get a day's wages out of you. He is worthy for you to keep back nothing and to give all that you have. And that's exactly how I work. They didn't want to see me go. I don't say that to, bo to be boastful. I say that people want to know how, to, how you have to live your life before God. You've got to know this. I heard people cutting down the employer. And I was thinking about it and I learned more as I went along. But I began to start to tell him once I started to get a little bit light on this, I'd say, don't you know that that's, you're getting food on your table, you're working for that man? Don't you know that? Blessed be God, you should be thanking God every day for, for your employer. Amen? Yes, God is our source, but it comes through the earth, and you should thank God for Him, and never speak evil about Him. Let's go on and see exactly what He says. Why? That the name of our God be not... Look at this. The name of Jesus... And his doctrine be not blasphemed. Yeah. You should hear how they talk about him. Give them no, give no employer a place to say one wrong thing about you. You be so diligent to do so much work for that man. You do more than eight hours work. You do more than anybody else in the shop. You live that way. And if you're reading your Bible, it's because he said you can do it or you have a break. And you're allowed to do it. If not, don't even, don't be concerned about your Bible. You want to know where your Bible should be? Right here. I've hid it in my heart and I am a living epistle of the living Christ, of the living Word of God, and my epistle that I'm showing is my life. And I'll tell you what, you be honest. Number one, let someone say, well, you just nothing but a brown nose. That's what they call them. I said, is that right? I get favor inside of God for, for doing my job and doing even more so. He is worthy of all I have to work for Him. Go on. You think that's wrong? And they that be, they have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved. Faithful and beloved. Partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and surmising, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds. Not sound minds, but corrupt minds. And destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdrawal and turn yourself away. Beloved, this is sound doctrine. This is sound doctrine. You young people, I don't care if you're sweeping the floor. I don't care if you're working at a stop and go. I don't care what you are doing. You do it as unto the Lord. You do it wholeheartedly. You don't speak a word about your employee. You praise God while you're doing it and you'll get a better job. You fellows that are called to the ministry, you be there when a, something has to be done in the church. You be faithful to your local fellowship the pastor in the body, you be faithful to be there to do all that you're called upon to do. You show forth the, the faithfulness of God in your everyday life to, to, uh, to, to be there. To, no, I don't care what it is. Sweep on the floor. It doesn't matter what it is. You just go ahead and do it and I'll tell you what the anointing of God will come upon your life and when he has somebody, he'll say, yeah, there's the brother so-and-so. He's down there sweeping the church. Get him out there. It's time for revival. And you'll be the first one to be called on. Get him to lay his hands on somebody to get him healed. Get him delivered. This is what God's Word teaches. You get your life in order in this life, and I guarantee you've got it in order in the spiritual. And the Lord showed me this, and, 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 and I'll finish right here. He said, 
You have got to have patience and endurance in the spiritual life to undergird your faith. The reason why people cannot be faithful in a natural life is because they have no patience or endurance. Husbands, they don't tolerate the things about their wife. Wives don't do the same thing about their husband. They can't uh, endure and walk. It takes, it takes faith to walk in love, husband, towards wife. I mean that with all my heart. And it takes a two-way street. The husband must walk in love. The wife must walk in love. You are bringing two personalities together to be one. It takes faith and it takes faithfulness. And if you cannot do that in the natural life, then when it comes, it's just going to show forth in the, in the spiritual life because it takes faith and patience to receive or inherit the promise. If you can't be faithful to do your job down here on the earth in natural living, if you cannot be faithful in the area of your local fellowship, your local body, in that, if you cannot be faithful to endure every time there's this, some people say, well, I'm just tired of going to church. And I, I just don't, you know, I just don't feel like it. I can do something else. Well, see, you're not being consistent. You're not being constantly constant. Well, it takes the same kind of faithfulness in the spiritual world. To get your prayers answered, you have got to maintain a con consistency in your faith. You have got to be constant in your faith. Remain. When you pray that prayer of faith, you have to have patience to undergird it until that promise comes into your hand. But they faint and they weary in their mind. They faint in their mind and they don't get it. It's the same thing in a natural life. They'll do it for... You ever see people, they start something and they quit? Well, they start doing this and they, they do it for a while. One week goes by, the house is kept up real nice. The next week goes by, said, before you know it, it's back in the same old right routine. There was not enough endurance. There was not enough patience. They could not carry it through to the end. It's the same thing in here in this ministry, in this body right here. We have got to be diligent. We have got to be faithful. We have got to be constantly constant. That is showing forth faithfulness and there's a great reward. A great reward. And if you could be that way in this life, friends, you can be that way in that life. You'll not change. I don't care what comes your way. It doesn't matter what comes your way. You'll be constant. You'll be consistent in your faith. Your faith will not waver. You'll not faint in your mind. You will get your answer to prayer. See, it's lifestyles we're talking about. What we're saying is this. You shall show me somebody who's unfaithful in this life. And I'll show you somebody who cannot be faithful in that life. In the spiritual life. Why? Well, Jesus, or the Word of God says, if you don't love your brother who you see, how can you love me in whom you don't see? It's the same thing. It's the same connection there. It's the same thing. This is a life that you see. If you can't live it like you're supposed to live it in, in, in the natural world and be faithful in it, you don't see that life. You don't, you don't have, unless you, you've got to get some spiritual vision. But you're not, we're not in that world yet. And you've got to be faithful and diligent in spiritual things to get that into this life. Well, if you can't do it in this life, you, can't, you cannot be faithful to hold out to get the things that are in that life into your possession right here. Because, beloved, it takes a consistency in faith. You've got to be constant. And I believe that that's why the Word of God is medicine in all your flesh. You want to get healed? You know, sometimes, you, sometimes I'll just sit back and you say, how am I going to get, Lord, how am I going to get my healing today or this time? It may be sit down and read the Word for about ten hours. And if you're not constant, you know what you'll do? You'll read it five and quit. That's right. That's right. That's what people do. So listen. 
You could check out your spiritual growth by what you're doing in the natural. You'll get to a point, now listen to me, you will be so God inside you minded that you will be, that the life of godliness and holiness on the inside of you will cause you to be in the outward appearance perfect. Because of the godliness on the inside, all that you do on the outside will line up to it. I heard, I, I read one article about a minister and his wife. She was a prostitute. He was an evangelist. She got saved, I believe, at one of his meetings. They got, fell in love. They got married. Now, mind you, a prostitute. The Lord, of course, gave her a new heart. They went into a country. He began to pastor a church. He was known for having the best-dressed, best-looking, prosperous church in this little country. And they said, how'd you do it? And it was the wife. Because of the outward, because of she knew how holy that life that she had was so on the inside that she just became, she just came to church week after week. And everywhere, everywhere they saw her, she was always showing, she was always dressed beautifully. She always looked beautifully. Her outward appearance was beautiful. Everything about her was just beautiful. And everybody began to rub off. Everybody began to see it. The more of God, the, the godly life that you have on the inside and you know about, the godlier you will be on the outside. And that entire body was a beautiful body. People marveled and they said, this is, this is astounding. It's amazing to see how beautiful this was. And I'll tell you what, they were rewarded. They were rewarded. Can you see this? Can you see how we have got to be faithful to the things of God? We've got to be faithful. We've got to be diligent. We've got to gird up the loins of our mind. We cannot faint in our minds and expect to reap. Galatians says if you faint in your minds, you'll reap if you don't faint in your minds. Can you see this, friends? Can you see what the Word of God teaches? Can you see what sound doctrine is? That's what it's about. Now He's here to deliver us. He's here to give us His freedom. These are godly principles. You'll find it in every probably book of the New Testament. Principles of godly living. As we're faithful to them, God will be faithful to us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.